<clears throat> Don't know much about history. Don't know much about biology. Yeah, that's an old song. That's an old I know song. it. I know that song. <laughs> that's an old, an Book of Love, of right? In that the name of Book of Love? Yeah, yeah, actually. Yeah. Ooh, look at you. I know my oldies, man. There I know them. Wow. You know, I, I was thinking about that song and I was thinking about how many times I switched majors in college. <laughs> I think I switched majors like, oh my gosh, three times? I, I, yeah, I, I did as well, at least. What, what were like? I went from, uh, believe it or not, theater major ah. to film and video. Mm -hmm. And then I switched from film and video to computer science when I saw the internet. And then my parents were like, okay, we're out of money. It's on you now. <laughs> <laughs> so I wouldn't got a job. <laughs> yeah. I went from communications okay. to nursing mm. to psychology. Mm. And that's where I ended I ended up psychology and sociology. So I guess I guess I changed three times and then tossed another one there on the end because I just kept taking social classes as electives and they were like you actually have enough of these now that you get to count it. So. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Okay. This, all these different um, course changing, of course changing <laughs> different as we pursued our college career, made me think about our next guest, uh, Josh Miramat. So this is, I'm um, looking at his intro, his bio here. And he is the, actually he's the CEO of Blue Orange Digital. Uh, but in a previous life, Josh was a lead engineer at GoodCo, a data science-based culture fit calculator. Then he went to culinary school, law school, coding school, and ultimately became famous for base jumping in an American Speedo, which I've been told I should not Google because it's not a good look for him. <laughs> he is quite um, the Renaissance man, really, really covering a whole bunch of areas there. He did. And when he started Blue Orange Digital, which is a top-ranked AI consulting and development firm in New York and D.C., uh, some of their projects are still in HR. For example, he's done a lot of work on applying data science to remove bias in hiring. Mm. He also created prediction algorithms for best-fit candidates and automated recruiting processes with machine learning, just to name a few of the tricks they're doing over there at uh, Blue Orange Digital. Should be an interesting conversation. Yeah, I'm excited. Let's do this. All right. Let's go. Don't know much about this story. You are listening to Tribe Pod, a podcast series of interviews of interest to the HR community. It is hosted by Courtney Lane. Produced by Jim Stroud, sponsored by Proactive Talent, and enjoyed by you. Today's episode begins right after this. On-demand recruiting is an hourly service that we offer where our recruiters work as an extension of your business, helping to fill your positions by finding top talent. 
So on-demand recruiting is there to address issues in hiring when a company is experiencing a lot of growth, when they're having some seasonality changes where they may um, temporarily need to expand their recruiting team. You maybe have a new line of business or a space where you're expanding your business and you need to bring in specialty expertise to help fill those niche roles that your internal team may not yet be ramped up on. Proactive Talent's on-demand recruiting solution is uh, quite different from um, a lot of the other models that you're going to see in the, in the workplace. Whereas you're going to pay a contingency recruiting firm, typically on average around 20%, sometimes up to 30% of the first year salary of the person that you hire. And in that same period of time, you'll spend less than a quarter of that with Proactive Talent's managed on-demand for more information on Proactive Talent, visit them online at proactivetalent.com or click the link in the podcast description. Well, today I'm joined by Josh Merrimont, CEO and founder of Blue Orange Digital, a data science and machine learning agency that helps companies apply data science to their hiring practices, among a plethora of other things. But we are hiring an HR folks here, so that's the, the piece that sticks out to me. So, Josh, thank you so much for joining us today. We are really excited to have you here with us. Yeah, it's great to be here, Courtney. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So just to start things off, why don't you tell us a little bit more about what Blue Orange Digital is, what you all do? I mean, what, what is a data science and machine learning agency? It's a good question. It's hard to explain sometimes. So let me, uh, it's a good starting point. Uh, so uh, Blue Orange at its core, we really just focus on implementing data science and data engineering practices. And really that's become popular in businesses really around helping make better decisions with data. So there's actually a core set of practices and tools that have emerged. Uh, obviously we've a lot around AI and machine learning. Um, that's really just a tool amongst many different tools that make it much easier for organizations to use data to have more insight into areas around better practices in hiring, all the way from optimization or predicting uh, different areas. So if you break that down, uh, what we do and kind of how this is is, is implemented in practice at organizations, it starts with good clean data transformation so you have a good environment uh, and flexible tools to uh, work work inside in the data environment then the next layer is uh, business intelligence so reporting and visibility into that data and then the third layer on top has been very popular is uh, uh, the AI or machine learning layer which is really using models and algorithms that are, are quite amazing to get prediction and uh, help optimize different problems. So yeah, a lot of that's the three areas of focus that Blue Orange has built out uh, kind of a skill set as an agency on. Okay. And I hear you talk about AI and machine learning. And I think for a lot of us, we can feel like it's kind of a buzzword, but at the same time, we know it, there's a lot more meat to it than it just being sort of a trendy topic. When, when you hear people talking about AI and machine learning, what does that really mean from a hiring perspective? Like, how are we seeing that come to life in, in the recruiting and, and re you know, retaining of employees? Where, where are we seeing that in action? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I think that's industry-wide, this, this AI term or machine learning kind of stops saying, because it's really confusing. It's hard to like tangibly understand where that's applied. And quite frankly, it's just amazing. But one tool set of many have really changed how hiring has been applied. And so I'll to contextualize, 
machine learning at its core, or and I use this term, I'll probably use a term pretty interchangeably, but AI really means machine learning in practice in a lot of cases when we're talking about it from a HR and hiring perspective and how it impacts. At its core, all these are, are uh, algorithms or models, as they're called, that are able to do prediction on large sets of data. So that prediction factor is really important. Um, anything that you can reduce down to a pr prediction problem, like you know, in a perfect world, if you could predict based on somebody's resume, how good they'd be for a job, you would uh, have perfect hiring practice. That has a ton of inputs or parameters uh, that make it really difficult for ML to get it right. Uh, there have been really big examples of companies trying to approach that, but at the you know easiest reduction level, like if you had perfect results of a hire and perfect data on what their past experience is, you could build a prediction machine, um, which is a machine learning model to help that process. In practice, where it's being applied today are much more interesting or incredibly powerful pieces where it's breaking that down into more parameterized applications. So you look at it where um, other really interesting pieces, there's just a ton of push into pre-assessment uh, where you're getting in and trying to understand non-resume you know, resume specific skill sets. Well, how does that correlate to different uh, you know, skills, whether good fit for different job components, uh, other areas inside of machine learning that are really more tactically applied and really effective, like uh, natural language processing is this big, this subset of ML uh, that is um, able to take semi-structured data and turn it into something that's more structured, which is how you can do analysis on it. So extracting different characteristics from resumes to keep them called normalized, but in a way that's able to understand, making sure that you're having apples to apples comparison against uh, candidates and, and make that something that you can apply filtering so you're not excluding candidates. You know, It's become industry standard to all ATSs now have um, OCR, optical char uh, character resolution, which is able to pull out the um, content of resumes, but then taking that next step further with like making sure you have skill extraction from descriptions and cover letters and making sure that you're transcribing and using diaritorization to identify speakers on interviews and making sure that's brought in in a contextual way all of these different points actually have really impressive machine learning or advanced data modeling applications pretty much across every stage of the funnel. So pre-assessment, uh, applicant tracking, uh, you know, uh, data extraction and processing, all the way to decision and prediction, um, which really gets into that correlation analysis space. So when you zoom in on each of the areas, AI and machine learning have really changed every component of it, but the most interesting and effective applications are really zooming in on these kind of you know, behind the scenes areas where you see the most effect. So I would have to imagine that not only from uh, helping people make predictions about hiring, but to a certain extent, also helping filter out some of that, you know, unconscious bias in the hiring process itself from the human component. Am I right there? I mean, is that a piece of it as well? Uh, it's an amazing component that this is a, a big part of what happens with uh, subconscious bias is just rampant inside of hiring. And that's one thing that's challenging about it is we're you know, this is, as the definition, it's something that's very hard to root out. We don't know it's happening. And, and that's not even things that are, you know, blatantly bad. It's just that, you know, I, I had this example, we do a lot of hiring around here. And there might just be a glitch in a system that doesn't upload a resume, and you think the candidate's sloppy, or you're cutting pasting something poorly. Those low quality systems apply bias. And obviously, there's a rampant bias with, you know, there's, you've, we've seen the disaggregation of names that have come in and, mm -hmm. you know, people's like 
moving out of just subconscious bias, like that, that's the, your actual bias. Those, there's ways that technology can reduce that as well. And so what's amazing about what's been introduced, um, and there are good cases and bad cases. So I'm gonna give a couple examples here, Courtney, because um, there have been some famous, like Amazon's been noted for a uh, uh, building a machine learning model that was actually implanting bias into it. And I'll talk about that and kind of how that's curtailed. But on the other side, a lot of the introduction, a lot of the work that we've done at Blue Orange um, for a couple larger companies that have been thinking about this problem of getting into this, this mindset that people can't help where they look to patterns of the past hires to apply to the next ones. And like we had a, a large financial institution partner of ours that was realizing that, you know, not unsurprisingly, hiring from the computers or from a, uh, the finance at Harvard was a pattern that fit for them. But it wasn't necessarily correlate to a uh, result they were looking for. And they actually could mm -hmm. see the result ineffectivity, but they couldn't see the how to easily a change to go say, hire somebody that's not like how 50% of the people are effective. What a hard <laughs> problem to have. So this is where that layer of um, bias removal with more systematized approaches. So this is um, machine learning can certainly do this because you take as long as you have a some level of uh, human intervention in there. And I'll talk about that, why that layer is important. But I think one piece of it is um, structuring so we get better sets of data about people and about the criteria that we're making decisions on. I'm incredibly bullish on pre-assessments and that type of, that not just having a resume and a relatively qualitative interview that you have, as an exclusive touch point for how somebody is uh, adopted into an organization. I think that that type of example is riddled with unconscious or semi-conscious bias that's introduced and having larger data sets and then applying more uh, systematized approaches that you have around um, structuring your advancement process and looking at the criteria and ranking you apply um, actually is a, it goes a long way where, you know, perfect example where you do name disaggregation. When you take that away from that fact you and look much more on an apples to apples comparison of somebody's extracted you know, qualifications and skills as you've defined them for a job, um, that it goes a real long way to uh, getting the a far more diverse, that's been proven out far more diverse and a far more uh, qualified candidate pool. Uh, and there's still a question of like whether that human interaction is right for a job, which is another area where you can do some um, actually performance analysis and, and link that back. But it's been amazing to see those layers where you can apply that um, apply that assessment and look at correlation through it with a machine learning model um, or just even heuristics or statistical modeling to put it through and get to that point of a better uh, application pool. So I want to, you, you mentioned human interventions, and I'm so glad that you did, because that was going to be my next question, which is, there's a lot of people that hear about all of this technology and the systems. And when I say people, I mean, people like recruiters and whatnot that start to get a little bit nervous that am I about to get replaced, but I feel like you were just teasing a bit there that, in fact, no, that human component component is still critically important to the whole process. Yeah, and I, you know, as a true technologist that uses this technology all day long. I look at these as just a better set of tools. That's the best that we have right now, uh, particularly something that is as challenging as, you know, if you look at my background prior to Blue Orange, where we're implementing, implementing machine learning to change hiring kind of tactically, I started a psychometric modeling company. So it did talent analytics and workplace fit, which I admit the science is a little looser on, um, but the impact 
of just even fit and culture and what that and how somebody will um, operationally and organize alignment to the organizational alignment there, that's really challenging. But back to your question, the human intervention component is crucial. So I teased this before, Amazon had their you know biggest data company in the world, biggest resource world, best data scientists in the world. And they came out with a purely predictive ML model and it wasn't unleashed on their hiring you know carte blanche by any means, but they created a neural net, like one of the best implementations with large training data sets, like all the criteria you'd want. And upon review, it took gender as a criteria for a good engineer. And that is like, mm-hmm. like male bias was built into it because it looked at the training data set and affirmed it. And that's something that we would clearly put that's not a good thing to build into an automated system. So right. the, the, it's a pretty easy piece that is, an, is a criteria that says, hey, look, they've hired, they've selected the best. If that's the truth, 75% are male. So let, let's go. We know that that's a weighted parameter. And they scrapped it. It got a ton of news uh, screenings about two years ago. I mean, it's in 2018, uh, end of 2018. They just got skewered for it. I mean, frankly, as you should for that type of model. The problem around this is I think they're, they took a too broad approach of what they were trying to do with their machine learning model. And instead of trying to say, predict somebody that's good for a job, it's saying like, let's find characteristics that correlate to performance in more like specific examples. So take your performance data and find traits or skills inside of somebody's resume that correlate or some of this, this component of it. And that isn't about, if you take approach, which is far more um, specific or more exact, and then you apply that to your candidate pool and you also have human intervention to know characteristics that are important to uh, you know, look in different pools and make sure you're searching that your data set of what you're applying it to is broad enough and in different and varied environments. That's all human context here. That will then result in, in something that would hit hiring goals and make sure that you don't enforce bias, which could absolutely happen because that example I said of like, you know, uh, hiring a white male out of Harvard is not a surprise of bias that's happening in finance. And if you just looked at the data set, a bad ML model would say, oh, well, I can just do that a million times over and get success. And that's the thing that you can, the human intervention is saying, taking those in stages where it's effective, um, finding the strong correlation and putting a ranking or scoring model around those characteristics and traits that matter, um, and then not letting a full system do kind of like training data prediction. Uh, I think that's still long away and there's too low it's, it's the, there's too many risks inside of that right now. It's too much varied data. It's one of those things like, you know, even though there's lots of money in quant, fully predicting the stock market isn't possible, nor is mm-hmm. picking the personality and characteristics of people in total uh, with a prediction model with the data that we have um, for a job fit that's hard to directly correlate to performance. Yep. Yeah. So for HR leaders who want to help their organizations start moving in the direction of making more data-driven decisions and and start to integrate some of this, I would imagine, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I would imagine that you you have to step back and sort of look at the systems you have in place. Um, and, and there's got to be some, some speci- I mean, certain systems, I would think in particular that you need to have integrated with one another um, in order to really, you know, both capture the data and then be able to do the, the reporting side of it. So, I mean, is... For those HR leaders that are out there sort of thinking about taking this step from a technical perspective, what are some of the things that they need to be considering and thinking through when they they look at their systems within HR and hiring? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think this is so important when you take a step back and look at 
where a lot of the buzzwordiness of ML comes out. It's like, well, how do we get there? What is it? What is this piece? So it's actually, um, I, I think implementing these types of solutions, actually, I, I don't actually start with that as the goal. What mm -hmm. I start with is an assessment. I would say this, like the goal is like identifying the data maturity lifecycle, which is like how accessible and capable are you of making better decisions with your data? And that's at the, the core of it, a properly applied machine learning solution it only makes that better. It's turning the dial of improving the quality of that decision. And the starting point is actually considerably back with making sure that you have, uh, you know, I think we look at the stages of where we go is starting with good data transformation. So, um, you know, first off, you know, making sure you have good ATS systems in place, that your data capture process is robust and you're getting that through good systems. I heavily encourage, you know, making applicable and well-validated pre-assessment tool because um, you need lots of data for good data-driven decision-making. Any data analysis is predicated on larger volumes. Even if you're hiring for a specific job, the more capture you have long tail is important. Um, and, and you actually uh, astutely identified this earlier, even like, having good systems to rule out who you shouldn't be talking to can be a major time saver. So the first stage of that is really thinking about getting those good core tools in place. And then the next step is unifying them in a system. And this is where cloud computing has completely changed the game or pretty much any vendor uh, in the ATS, ATS space at this point has an incredible amount of ability to unify it in the cloud. Um, and then once it's in, a, in, in an environment where you have good uh, funnel analysis and you're able to see criteria for advancements. You have, you've started thinking from a business process perspective, what is the structural way to decide when somebody gets advanced or um, uh, you know, stopped at a certain stage? That's when you start applying the, you say, well, how do we make this, how do we make sure we know that assumption's right? So, and I say the other side of a prediction is an assumption. So it's like, if you have an operating assumption on each stage, you're going to say, We've come up with this and we think this is the, hire, the hiring criteria. A good ana analyst would come in and say, well, can we prove that to be true? And that's when you start getting into the more advanced data modeling. And, and that's really the start of this exciting area. So you say, well, it looks like if we get that through, we have people that stay at our, our job a long time there. Okay, so is, are we optimizing for duration? Um, and, or are we optimizing for performance criteria, some other KPI that you'd identify? So that's the start of analytics. Then when you say, this is where you can get into like correlation analysis or optimization problems with ML, it's saying, hey, machine learning model, go look at the data and can you find other criteria that would actually result in a higher optimization of that, that KPI that you've established? Then you would start reapplying a scoring or a ranking model back downstream that says these candidates have this characteristic and it should be weighted amongst other characteristics. And that's how you start getting to improvement. So like the... You asked pretty specifically a technology. It, the thing I would say that now, even more than two years ago, it is easier than ever to get this, this, this type of equipment. Like you look at you know, Azure and Amazon and Google are all investing tons of money to make this type of work easy. So that's, it's, it's not seamless yet, but it's getting a lot of the ATS systems have um, ML processes for like the process automation component and better in prep data analysis tools there's still an environment where you need to step outside of those systems to get the more advanced uh, structure. But at, before you're ready to entertain this, the first thing is just making sure you have good structured data that you're able to answer these questions. If you say, geez, I wanna know if this decision we are making as an organization is right or wrong. If you can't answer that or you're 
it, you feel you have all the information, but not yet the tooling, that's kind of going to answer where you are in the data maturity life cycle. And, you know, you might be, if you're feeling just like working all your time to get your data structuring ATS, it's probably the right time to focus on first. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's the exciting part that um, once that's kind of structured and put in play, then there's pretty great cloud tools. Um, the models in this space for pretty much everything we're talking right now are relatively solved, not for advanced predictions of just tell me to hire out of these candidates, but like cleaning your data, doing you know, extraction, making sure you have even you know basic correlation analysis between uh, specific KPIs. Um, that's gotten easier than ever. And layering those in become uh, a much more plug and play process in the quarter of like weeks, not years as it used to take. So it's a pretty exciting uh, time. So from your experience, is there sort of a general, like a, a common tripping point or barrier or challenge that companies sort of go through as they're starting down this maturity model of trying to, to move themselves forward? Um, or does it, does it vary? And it may vary by company, but I feel like oftentimes we all tend to, to make the same mistakes. Um, so I'm curious if you see a trend there where there's sort of a, that common trip up that, that companies experience as they're first getting started in this journey. Yeah, that's a great question. I, I, I think I would um, structure that question on a couple of different groupings. I think that if you look at company type, like if you're looking, I think there's a big difference in how you handle hiring process if you're looking to hire high volume and scale mm -hmm. versus, you know, and that might just be company, uh, a subset of company size. By very nature of scale, you have to have systems that are more robust, even if it's not even if the data value is the same, I mean, the um, employee, I, I hate to use that term, but like employee per revenue value is comparable. Uh, that function forces process automation and systemization that will um, lead to a different set of maturity model on that. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas if you're hiring more specialized talent in a lower volume, uh, you can see a different set of problems. So I think those are the areas where I say there are distinct problems between those two types and on that spectrum. So they're kind of blending in between. But uh, on the thinking about more specialized talent, it is the typical tripping point is um, like too much qualitative or subject, uh, subjective hiring practices that aren't really captured. Um, mm. I know that every, you know, there's a lot of people that, uh, you get a strong hierarchy of people that feel really good about their interviewing skills or something. And that's, we all seen this and they frankly are, it's amazing. But if you're thinking about trying to apply a replicative non, uh, you know, subjective based system into it, that's really hard to replicate if you haven't captured that process. So that's usually the stumbling block is quite early in that there are, um, very strongly opinionated uh, opinionated positions around how this is the best way to do it. And like extracting some, even if just like, them taking a more, you know, interviewers taking a more structured or, or structured way of taking notes about candidates. That can be a huge process on, on that. So that's usually a uh, friction point in the beginning on lower volume, um, higher skill set hiring. On mm -hmm. the volume side, it's typically much more, it's easier problems, but much more like poor data storage or version control break. You uh, scaled an ATS and you moved it into one and then broke legacy resumes and didn't store <laughs> this. And, uh, you know, it's like those, those are actually, I consider though messy, but easier problems uh, that are usually the starting point. And in bigger volume data sets, when that occurs, that's when you, you know, call in somebody to help with the data side, because that's some, those are a lot of tools around data prep and data munging to get that fixed. But that's usually the first stumbling block where people feel like, well, there's just too much and it's hard, not actually the hardest problem to solve. 
Um, but it makes you unable to answer, like, is this a good hire? Are we doing it right? Can we validate this assumption? Messy data will always break you break you down there. So I think those are, are kind of like polarized to skew uh, examples around two problems I have. But usually that's the first kind of stumbling block that you see um, and are that are in ways I would address each. But I think that's that's kind of the two biggest problems you see on different company types. Yeah. So I'm curious as we're sort of coming to the to the end of our time together. You know, are there any sort of tips or tricks? I mean, what are the, when you, when you first start having conversations with folks, when, when folks are still, or, you know, are first, you know, coming to you all and, and asking for help in this, are there any sort of big headlines or anything you want to make sure that the HR leaders that are listening today, the TA leaders that are listening today sort of have as a takeaway when they start thinking about data science and how it applies to their hiring processes? Yeah, this is the, the million dollar question because you can waste a lot of money in this stuff if you don't know. Um, there's a lot of people that will take lots of money. But the, the biggest piece is understanding how specifically, like the specifics, thinking, don't think big systems, think specifics. That's the answer in all this. When I when we scope a machine learning problem, it is all about establishing parameters. What it, what if you have the outcome of this prediction level, what is the business impact? And, and you want to start distinctly with prioritizing the ones that have the largest business business impact. You know, we've all done you know, decision matrix on these and figuring it out. And you want that high impact, low volume goal. You really do want to start the same way, like thinking in that lower right hand quadrant where you're saying, okay, what if we did, if we were better at this would make the most impact and what's the complexity level and really think about, there's a bunch of things. Is it like, you know, what information we have to make a decision on criteria, sort of the upper funnel. Is it that we don't know between a couple or we don't know how to incent the right people or we've done all this hiring, we don't have you know, the right package to offer. Like All of these can be solved across the board or do we get people in and we have high uh, attrition and we wanna work on retention and engagement. Like that's something that's heavily quantifiable if you have the right information, even you know what characteristics and incentive package you can offer. All this has been addressed with data. It's really can be addressed. So. Uh, running through that spectrum of, you know, there's areas where it's the most, depending on what type of hiring you're doing, where you're spending the most money, because it has to be just like the expense here has to be justified on what the outcomes are. And then where, if it were solved to a, it's never perfectly solved, but like if there, there was a 60% or 70% improvement of the system, would that make the most fundamental impact of the, the pipe you're hiring or, um, you know, a talent acquisition pipeline? And I say that if, if you break it down into those stages, what like keeps you up the most uh, at night, the most, uh, and then hone in on the specific solutions and say, okay, let's entertain. I don't feel like we have enough uh, unobjective information from resumes. I just don't feel like we're getting a good, I can't answer whether our hiring criteria is good. Pre-assessments are a fantastic starting point there. And they have some great base level analytics that come right with them. And then, then your problem isn't, we don't know if the right candidates just picking the right pre-assessment tool. And that's becoming now a much more quantifiable problem. And then when you realize, geez, can I answer if this pre-assessment data correlates to impact? Well, the answer is yes, you have the tools. You might be honing in right on a perfect parameterized uh, data science problem right there. So I think that is the, the workflow of it. It's just going, it's, it's just like anything. It's like prioritizing your highest um, business requirements and then saying, geez, if this were solved, that would be, uh, if this were solved at even 60% more accurate, if we were a little, a few percentage more accurate would be valuable because I want to promise ML is, or like these models are never perfect. So you have to discount them with some margin for error. Uh, but that's when you get really effective machine learning solutions or just data science solutions that they're coming in, finding a solution. 
And then having a trusted uh, machine learning practitioner of some realm, uh, like making sure you have people of credibility to give you good answers and not build for building's sake and understand that it's an iterative process. Like it's devil, anyone that says, you know, if you have no machine learning and I suggest a neural net run, like it's just the wrong solution first. But then there's applications when you need to start thinking about improving accuracy and getting to that refined precision um, that you're looking for. That's where uh, the, the journey of iterative improvement can be justified from the business process. And any business leader, would uh, HR leader, will know the biggest thing that keeps them up at night. So, yeah. Awesome. So thank you so much for joining us today, Josh. I loved this. I personally could just nerd out on this for a really long time. Um, <laughs> but um, if folks are interested in getting in touch with you um, or, or getting in touch with um, Blue Orange Digital, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, no, I, I really appreciate grabbing a few minutes. I too could nerd out on this for quite some time, <laughs> as you can tell. So, um, but yeah, if you want to get in touch, uh, you know, our website, is blueorange.digital. Uh, we have you know, ample ways to get in touch with us there. Um, uh, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Uh, you can connect me in my uh, email. is just josh at blueorange.digital. So I'm um, easy to get in touch with too if you want to just chat more. Any of your people, team or your listeners would like to uh, chat more about this, I could certainly go on in more depth. So always happy to have those conversations. Awesome. Thank you so much, Josh. Thank you for joining us. And thank you for everyone who joined in to listen to our conversation today. Um, I spent some time myself digging around on the Blue Orange Digital website, and I recommend it. There's some really interesting case studies and things to look out out there. So check it out. And uh, until next time, thanks, everybody, for joining us. Thank you all. Yeah, appreciate it, Courtney. Ooh, that was good. That, can, you, can you hear that? The, my dog is, my dog is doing his thing. Hold on, let me, um, He's I'm excited. Gonna, he enjoyed yeah. the conversation too. He, he did. I'm gonna, I'm gonna mute myself. Hold on, I'm gonna mute myself. Okay. Even the dogs enjoyed this conversation today. It was that great. Um, wait, what? Okay, Jim and I are playing charades now. He is on mute. The dog. The dog will not quit barking. <laughs> but Jim says that he loved the podcast he loved hearing from josh you guys really honestly we were just scratching the surface on that conversation it was fantastic it was and jim is miming you should be a mime this is a future career for you jim um that yes loved the podcast and hopes that everybody else loved it too and i'm back yes yes Oh, I should be a mime. You totally got what I was trying to say. Dictionary <laughs> content championship in our future. <laughs> or, or charades championship. <laughs> I wonder if there are any listeners who are also um, mime aficionados or Pictionary experts, or just like what Josh had to say. Either way, give us an email. Uh, send us an email. Let us know. Uh, you can reach us at tripod. That's T-R-I-B-E-P-O-D at proactivetalent.com. We have an email standing by for your uh, message. So... I'm going to get back to this doll because he's looking weird again. Do you have any other further comments for I jet away? No, just have a fantastic day. And um, that's it. Yeah. Arr, arr. <laughs>